But also on Reddit, like, you can literally just tell someone they're an idiot. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter. No. Like, I never great. do. <laughs> I never, like, write it out to them. I really don't either. I just downvote them. Oh, that's how you get them? Yeah. You're yeah. a downvoter. Yeah, Facebook needs a thumbs down. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but, like, anonymously. <laughs> I just, like, ten people fucking thought this sucked. <laughs> yeah, so that people would start to realize, like, oh, nobody likes my fucking shit. Damn! Oh, I think that's a really good idea. I know. You might be onto something. I think so, too. We can get rid of all the goddamn minion memes. Yeah. Yeah. Min- or all the political are- stuff. I don't care what side you're on. I'm over it. I know. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. And then, you like, who are you to try and fucking educate me on this shit? Like, we went to high school together, and you shot bottle rockets at your asshole. Like, <laughs> I, I watched for a, you. <laughs> I know for a fact you're not the top, the cream of the crop here. Like, <laughs> I, I do not think that your opinion is very smart. <laughs> exactly. I'm not coming to Facebook for my news from you. <laughs> Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of, I can give you, we can segue this somehow into my goddamn. Yeah. It's somewhat political, but not really because we're not about politics here. All right. Let it out. Let it out. Let me, let me at it. In my neighborhood, the people who live across the street from us, every weekend, they fucking party it up. (laughs) It's like a quinceanera going on over there and it sounds like a goddamn blast and they always have a huge bonfire. Ooh, that's fun. And the bonfire like shoots over the fence. Oh, And like our neighborhood is on a hill and they kind of live at the top of the hill. So if you're down at the bottom of the hill, you can see these flames because they're like, (laughs) real real high yeah and there's a bunch of palm trees around it and every time i'm like oh that motherfucker's going up in flames and i live right across the street so i'm going up in flames yeah this is not gonna end well for san diego yeah but they always handle it really well and it's never there's never been a fire or anything anyway the whole neighborhood just knows that these people get down on friday saturday night and they're always respectful they like turn it off by 10 o'clock or whatever but that's good yeah not like us when we have our barbecues on the weekends yeah okay so this weekend i think it was friday they were having a bonfire and the flames were huge and i was sitting on the couch watching fucking leaving or yeah leaving neverland and i was by myself in the living room with all the lights off and then all of a sudden i hear sirens going off and i see all these police lights flashing Uh and i'm like oh shit and i like get super excited (laughs) i have a goddamn this week (laughs) exactly i kept hearing yelling so i would like pause the tv but then the yelling would stop so i'm like am i imagining shit and then I saw the sirens and everything, and I got excited, and I ran and got Lee, and then Lee comes running out, and we're so happy <laughs> to see what's going <laughs> on. fucking nosy Nellies over in here. In our fucking neighborhood. I know. I, like, peeked my little eyes out the window through the shades, and Lee full-on opens the door and stands outside on the front porch, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing that? <laughs> yep, that's the difference between me and Brandon, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I still hid. I, like, opened the window so I could hear what was happening. Yeah. But I was still hiding. Like, you can't see me snooping. Yeah. But anyway, so there's this cop pulls right in front, like, in our driveway. Ooh. And he gets out and he starts running towards the house on the hill with the flames. Uh Uh-oh. But he's not, like, he's just kind of, like, hustling. He doesn't look like. He's not, like, sprinting. Yeah. He's not about to arrest a perp. He's not a firefighter. (laughs) And he's here because of a fire. And then there's a neighbor, and he's standing at the fence line yelling to the guys who are having the bonfire. Which, by the way, I said they're up on a hill. So, like, when he's standing at the fence line, he's, like, really far down. Like, shouting up 10 feet. Shouting up 10 feet 
14 feet. I don't even know how many fucking yeah, feet. Two people high. Yeah, and they've got fucking Fiesta music blaring, so <laughs> they can't really hear. So this guy, they turn off the music, and they're like, hello? <laughs> and this guy is like, we called the cops. We're concerned about the fire. The flames are like 14 feet high. I was down the street. This guy must be new to the neighborhood. Yeah. He's like, I was down the street, and I saw your fire, and those palm trees are going to catch on fire, and we're concerned for your well-being. And the guy was like, I've been here for 10 years. Everything's fine. But he wouldn't, like, come out and talk to the neighbor. And the neighbor just kept, like, yelling over the fence. And the cop was just standing there like, what do I do? Oh, my God. I know. And and they were like, it's fine. They're not going to catch on fire. We're okay. Thank you for being concerned, but we're okay. And then the neighbor kept talking to him and, like, yelling. I don't remember what the fuck he was saying. Yeah. But they eventually just stopped responding. And the cop was just standing there like, what do I do? Like, should I go talk? Should I go knock on the door? I don't really know what to do. Is it illegal? No, not where we live. You can fucking do anything. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. It's like the the one little wild, wild west triangle left of like San Diego (laughs) where no one gives a fuck what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Except for nosy fucking neighbors calling the cops on a goddamn bonfire. That's so funny. So then the cop, I don't even think the cop like went to go talk to them or anything (laughs) thank you for your concern i'm gonna keep partying did they turn the music back on after yeah they still partied it up but it was really funny that the cop like he was just standing there and he looked confused like i don't know if i should go and the cop's not trying to do anything like he wasn't trying to go after them he was just like responding to the call and you could just see the cop like uh, um he's just kind of standing in the street by himself like looking around like should i go talk to them i imagine all he's supposed to do is go talk to the neighbor that filed the complaint and be like yeah that's legal yeah you can do that <laughs> sucks to suck i'm sorry i bothered you if they don't shut it off by 10 call again yeah <laughs> if it catches on fire then call me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly oh my god that fire is gonna start a fire <laughs> anyway so lee and i were like super pumped that's fun. Well, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> fun living in the fucking uh, sketchy yeah. neighborhoods, huh? <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> Neighbors yelling at each other is like my bread and butter. I, I know, because it's always something <laughs> stupid, too. Yeah, every time. Well, Stacy. Yes, Aaron, give me your goddamn. My goddamn this week is probably just the fact that for the fucking 800th weekend in a row, I've had family over <laughs> again and had to play hostess and put my regularly scheduled life on hold over the weekend to be a tourist in San Diego, which is awesome. We have a great city. Yeah, it's a good place to do it in. Yeah, but goddamn, I've walked the zoo so many goddamn times (laughs) in, like, the past two weeks. My calves are burning. Oh, damn. I'm like, I'm going to have a butt by the end of this. Why can't they make the zoo flat? They literally built the zoo in a bunch of canyons. Seriously, they did. They're like, oh, fucking Cat Canyon. That's yeah. what we call this one. <laughs> it was like, ah, uh, we can't develop this land. Let's just put a fucking zoo on it. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Animals like hills, right? Yeah. And then the first time that we went to the zoo, the fucking escalator, because they have that new escalator yep. and all that shit that uh-huh. was broken. And so <laughs> oh, my fuck. ass was like, let's go all the way down this hill, and then we're just going to go up the escalator, because that's how fucking hills work. And <laughs> my fat ass won't have to go all the way back up. And then I got to the bottom, and we saw that it was out of order. And we, me and Brandon looked at each other like, fuck. oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, this is a nightmare. And you got a goddamn stroller with, like, a million people. Exactly. Ugh. And it's, like, the first nice couple weekends in fucking San Diego. Oh, I, so, I love it. Yeah, it's great, but don't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Just in your backyard. Yeah. Remember the first time we went to the zoo after I had my son and I was just like plowing people over with the stroller and I would be like, first time mom. Yeah. I was such a 
bitch. I was so over it. Like, it was fun, but, like, I hate people. People are so not considerate. And they just stand there and they take fucking a thousand pictures. And you're like, this isn't the time for family portrait. This is a walkway. Exactly. You can't expect us all to stop so you can take a picture with this giraffe 45 million feet away. Okay. So, also, at the zoo, there was a fucking lady. We're in front of, like, I don't know, the... I don't know what it was, but it was some animal that was, like, near the fucking edge of the enclosure, so everybody's looking at it, like, gathered around right there, and there's benches and stuff. This bitch changes her kid on one of those benches. Oh, my God. fucking ass out and everything, just changing his diaper, and me and Brandon look at each other like, you couldn't go to the fucking bathroom? Yeah, that's what those are for. Yeah. What if you got shit on it or something? Like, that's gross. I was like, but, okay, because Brandon was like, you can't go to the fucking bathroom for that? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I get not wanting to walk a thousand miles to the bathroom and have to wait and then go into a changing table and stuff, but also, couldn't you have picked a bench, like, not in front of an exhibit? Yeah, where everybody's sitting. Yeah, we're walking fucking 30 yards away and there's a bench with no one around it and it's just in the shade because it's just a bench at the zoo and people it, think this world is made for them fucking carol and george donated it so you can change your kid's <laughs> diaper on it like God. carol and george knew you would need this moment yeah and i like the whole walk away from that exhibit i was like this would have been a better bench that would have been a better bench <laughs> look a wall that you could fit him on like any other place would have been better than directly in front of the fucking hippos or whatever it was. Yeah, whatever you guys are looking at. And a bunch of strangers just saw your kid's junk. Like, yeah, I get weird. that it doesn't really matter because he's a baby, but, but at the still. same time, like, he was like a toddler. Oh. And they saw your kid's junk. Yeah. Like, With, I don't want to see your kid's junk. Yeah, no. With my son, one of the last times we went to the zoo, I had to change him. And there wasn't a bathroom anywhere nearby, but we have one of those strollers that you can, like, pull back and lay him down. So yeah. I just did it in that. Yeah. Which and, is fine, yeah, too. No and also, look. you pull away so that you're yeah. not, like, directly in the middle of everyone. Like, oh, the gorillas? Let me just do it here. Yeah. I bet this gorilla wants to see what my kid's taint looks like. <laughs> so, my goddamn is pretty much just that I had to deal with the general public for... <laughs> yeah, that sounds awful. ...for a couple weekends <laughs> while not getting, like, great sleep and hosting people. Oh, man. So that's my nightmare wrapped into one weekend. Well, goddamn. Goddamn. All right, lady. Welcome to motherfucking episode 30. Oh my god, episode 30, another milestone. It is a milestone. God, these are flying by. It's almost as old as us. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm not 30 anymore. I'm not. (laughs) No, you're not. Shit flies by. (laughs) So sad. I know. Okay, well then, for episode fucking 30, you better have something good for us, Erin. I have some high-quality fucking skullduggery here. Murder porn? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. So, mine is about the Candyman. His name was Dean Coral. Coral. (laughs) It's like Carl, but Coral. Like, Like a coral reef? Nope. There's no A. Like, coral. (laughs) Like, like, hey, coral. Are you having a seizure? Should I give you something to bite on? Should I stop? (laughs) You guys get how it's spelled yet? (laughs) Would have taken less time to spell it. Oh, man. So, he was an American serial killer, and he was born December 24th, 1939. Which, I would like to point out, kind of a shitty birthday. (laughs) December 24th. It's you're getting one party, one present for Christmas and birthday. It was pretty shitty. He was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to Mary Robinson and Arnold Coral. (laughs) Stop it! (laughs) (laughs) Don't 
Don't worry. That's probably the last time I'll say his name. <laughs> or his last name. I'm going to call him Dean. <laughs> Good plan. So a little bit about his background. Arnold, his father, was strict, and Mary was really protective over him and his brother. And the parents fought all the time, and they eventually ended up divorcing in 1946 when Dean was only seven years old. Okay. Dean was a shy kid and didn't really socialize with other kids, and I guess it was like teachers and stuff noticed. Uh-huh. When he was seven, he got rheumatic fever, but it wasn't... Whoa. Yeah, I know. But it wasn't diagnosed until four years later, and I guess that led to like a heart murmur, and so Dean was Jesus. taken out of PE in school, which I'm sure also kind of isolates you from yeah. the rest of the school. I mean, that sounds, aside from, like, the fever and the heart problems, it sounds like my dream. Being taken out of PE. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably could have just because you're goddamn vampire skin. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't be in the sun for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> it's a debilitating disease. Yeah. Wow. That was really hard to say. Uh, yeah. You did it, though. You uh, crushed it. I don't it. know. <laughs> <laughs> so Dean's parents decided to give it another go, and they got remarried in 1950. Okay, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, and so then they got divorced again in 1953 <laughs> because it was a terrible idea. <laughs> Dean's mom, Mary, remarried a traveling clock salesman. Oh, yes. Yes. Want to buy a clock? Hey, kid, want to buy a clock? <laughs> and they moved to another place in Texas. Okay. <laughs> so then Mary had a baby girl named Joyce in 1955 and a pecan nut salesman convinced the family. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. <laughs> I will not. He convinced okay. the family to start a candy <laughs> company. <laughs> what kind of salesman are you? Uh, I'm a pecan nut salesman. Oh, I sell pecan nuts. Not just any nut, only the pecan. Yeah. At first, I was like, he's a pecan salesman. And then I was like, well, it says pecan nut salesman. Like, maybe there's a difference between pecans and pecan nuts. I don't think there is. No, a pecan is a nut. Yeah. It's my favorite kind of nut. A pecan? But I would never just buy a bag of nuts from a salesman. <laughs> Right? Like, I guess this isn't the 30s, though. Where's this guy making his money? Well, this isn't 55 now. Well, shit, man. Maybe pecans are expensive back in 55. You know, hustling them pecans. Maybe. Some people call them pecans. <laughs> Maybe he had a farm. Bunch of pecan trees. Right? He could have had a pecan grove. Yeah. Had a pecan grove. It's like the people who sell blood oranges on the side of the street. Oh, yeah. They're just so fucking tits. They're so good. So the family was like, what a great idea, right? Yeah. And they opened a candy company, and they called it Pecan Prince. Or they could have called it Pecan Prince. <laughs> well, I wonder what the prince mean. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Like prince as in the prince of Persia or yeah. like prince? Oh, I was thinking prince as in like, let me print like this for prince. you. Oh, no, it's prince as in like the little man with a crown. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Now that we got that very <laughs> integral detail of the story ironed out. Hope you guys are following along. Now it makes sense. Pecan Prince. Oh, yeah, that's these little cute. pecan prints. Yeah. So then Dean worked in the store full-time while he was still attending school. And apparently he did pretty all right in school and got decent grades. Yeah. But he was still considered, like, a loner. And he allegedly had a girlfriend or two throughout high school. Ooh, allegedly. A girlfriend or two. Yeah. Mm. Legend has it. Legend has it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then after high school, his mom asked him to go live with his widowed grandmother to take care of her. Well, Jesus Christ. Just what every person after high school wants to go do. Seriously. What are you, like, 19? Go take yeah. care of this old woman. But he was like, yeah, for sure, mom. Well, he sounds you. like a standout citizen. Yeah. Now. Yeah, <laughs> he was. God damn it, Carl. <laughs> He's like, I love pecans. <laughs> so then during this time, which was like 1962, 
He dated a girl for a while, and she ended up proposing to him. Oh. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, very progressive of yeah. her. Yeah. But he was like, nah. Nah, bitch. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. He moved back to help with the family business, which was now in Houston Heights. Ooh, okay. And he moved into an apartment above the candy shop. His mom ended up divorcing the traveling clock salesman and opening a new candy store called Coral Candy Company. <laughs> And Dean was the vice president of it. Okay. So a little bit of a side note has absolutely nothing to do with the story. Sounds like our MO. (laughs) Yeah. The first pecan prince, Uh his stepdad was still running that. And then the Coral Candy Company, they were now running that. And they were like fucking fiercely competitive. Was it like the left and right Twix? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Pecans over there, pecans over here. Or pecans. Oh, that's right. They had pecans. They have pecans. (laughs) So then in 1963, one of the teenage boys that worked in the candy shop complained to Mary, Dean's mom, mm-hmm. that Dean had made sexual advances toward him. Ooh. And so fucking Mary, being the protective mom that she is, was like, oh my God, and fired the little boy. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh no, he didn't. Not my baby. <laughs> Not my baby. So then in 1964, Dean was drafted into the U.S. Army. And he hated it and requested a hardship discharge to help in his family business and was granted an honorable discharge after serving only 10 months. Oh, shit. Okay. During this time in the army, he realized he was gay and had his first homosexual encounters. All right. So then the company relocated to across the street from an elementary school and Dean was known by the kids to give free candy, (gasps) especially to the teenage boys. Interesting. So then in 1967, Dean made friends Uh with a 12-year-old boy named David Brooks. He was a sixth grader with glasses that Dean often gave free candy to. And a bunch of teenage boys would usually hang out at the candy shop for free candy, and they'd hang out with Dean. What the fuck? Yeah, and David became one of the, like, regular guys. Uh Uh-huh. David would also go with Dean and other boys to the beach in South Texas. Oh, shit. They're all like, he's got a car. Yeah, as a mother. Yeah. No, hell no, you can't go. <laughs> no. So then Dean would also give David money whenever he asked, and David viewed him as like a father figure. Uh-huh. Eventually, Dean convinced David to let him trade blowies for cash and gifts. Stop it. Just <laughs> <laughs> like how casually that came out. <laughs> like Dean performed the blowies on Oh my David. god, ew. Yeah. And not that like, it helps. It's not good either way, but. No, no, it's not. But so he gave him money to give him a blowy? Yeah. Dean gave David money so that Dean could give David blowies. <laughs> it's like a tongue twister. <laughs> it is. So then David's parents were divorced and his mom moved about 85 miles away. And whenever David went back to stay with his dad in Houston, he would also go see Dean and would stay at Dean's house. Okay. Not weird at all. No. Terrible idea. He's like, I get money for a blowie. Yeah, I'll right? i the night there. This is, this is fine. Yeah. So then he moved back to Houston that same year and still considered dean's house as like his second home oh wow yeah so then the candy company closed in 1968 and dean became an electrician oh weird segue yeah and now this is where things start to get a little fucky uh-huh david walked in on dean sexually assaulting two teenage <gasps> boys who he had tied to his four-poster bed <gasps> dean promised david a car if he didn't tell anyone and david was like all right oh shit Dean bought David a green 1969 Chevy Corvette. Oh, shit. This was in 
fucking, I think, 71? No, Ooh. 1970. Damn, that's a brand new Corvette. Yeah, a brand new fucking Corvette. But that's a good bribe. That's a real good Where's bribe. Where's he getting all the money from, though? Electricians make that much money? I guess. Well, he did just have a company. Yeah, he had a candy company. Yeah. So then Dean later told David that the two boys had been killed. And, Ugh. A- yeah, apparently David wasn't, like, extremely off-put by this, didn't run away screaming, and so Dean offered David $200 for every young man he would lure to Dean's <gasps> apartment. Oh, no. So he admitted to killing them? Yep. To David? Yep. And David was just like... Crazy. Wow, you're going to pay me to keep me quiet? David was just like, that's crazy, man. And he's like, you want to make some money? Oh, Bring me little God. boys. This poor little boy. Right? So his first victim was thought to be an 18-year-old named Jeffrey Conan, who was hitchhiking with his friend when he was dropped off at an intersection near Dean's house. Mm-hmm. He ended up going missing on September 25th, 1970, and Dean is thought to have offered the young man a ride. Oh, shit. David, Dean's young accomplice, yes, led police to the body like <gasps> afterward, oh. way afterward, years later, oh. which was buried at High Island Beach, and an autopsy determined he had been killed by manual strangulation. Oy. His body had a cloth in its mouth and was naked, wrapped in plastic, with his hands and feet bound. Oh my gosh. So, let that set kind of a fucking precedence for what we're about to dive into here. Okay. On December 13th, 1970, David lured two 14-year-old boys named James Glass and Danny Yates to Dean's apartment. He was able to lure them away from a religious rally because James was a friend of his. Oh, shit. Both boys were tied to opposite ends of a torture board (gasps) that Dean had constructed. What? They were raped, strangled, and buried in a boat shed that Dean was renting. Wait a minute, because this is like before Google. How the fuck does somebody know how to make a torture board? Well, it was constructed out of plywood. It was eight foot by three foot. And had, like, ropes and handcuffs attached to the corners. Oy. Yeah. Fucked up. So then on January 31st, 1971, David and Dean were driving around together, and they saw two teenage brothers named Donald and Jerry Waldrop. Uh-huh. They had been dropped off by their dad at a friend's house. When they discovered that he wasn't home, they started to walk home. Okay. Dean offered them a ride, and the boys accepted it. They were taken to Dean's apartment, where they were raped, tortured, strangled, Oy. and Oy. buried in the boat shed. Oh my gosh, how big is this bow shed? Fucking right. Just it's wait. big enough for a boat. I guess, yeah. Also buried in it, I guess if it was dirt ground. Yeah, I could see that. We've had some sheds in our day that just go right to the ground. Yeah. So then on March 9th, 15-year-old Randall Harvey was last seen biking towards work as a gas station attendant, and David probably offered the young man a ride, but instead took him to Dean's apartment, where he was ultimately killed with a gunshot wound to the head and buried in the boat shed. Oh my god. Yeah. Fucking, this guy's insane, right? Oh my gosh, David is turning into a little creeper too. Yeah. So then on May 29th, 1971, two young men were abducted and killed. David apparently had a hand in bringing the boys to Dean's apartment, but we don't know the actual specifics. Mm-hmm. Their names were David Hilligiest, mm-hmm. who was 13, and Gregory Malley Winkle, who was 16. God. This is kind of his M.O. Like, is the neighborhood not like, uh, these teenage boys keep going missing? Actually, they were, and I will tell you about that in two seconds. Okay. On August 17th, 1971, Dean and David were together again when they saw David's friend Reuben Watson Haney, who was 17 years old, walking home from the movies, and David persuaded his friend to come with them to a party at Dean's house. Mm-hmm. Reuben agreed. It's not a party, don't go. 
Yeah, it's not a good party. Reuben agreed and was strangled and buried in the boat shed. Shit. So we have all this information from David's confession to his part in all of this. Uh Uh-huh. He said that around the same time as Reuben, he had also assisted Dean in abducting two other young men who were subsequently murdered and buried in the boat shed. Jesus Christ. He didn't know who they were, and they haven't been identified, but he said that one of them was kept alive for at least four days before being murdered. No. Yeah. So, like you said, obviously the parents around the town were freaking the fuck out about their missing kids. So, sometimes before killing them, Dean would have the kids write letters (gasps) to their parents. No. To throw them off and make them believe that they were, like, they were all right. And to buy some time before they sounded the alarm. Oh, my gosh. Like, don't worry about me. Just staying over at Teddy's house. Exactly. Ugh. So... The parents of two of the children in particular peppered the town with flyers of their missing children, and some local youth were helping to pass out the flyers. Oh, God. One of the helpers was a kid named Elmer Wayne Henley. He was a friend of one of the missing boys. Oh, no. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Elmer. Okay, let's hear about Elmer. Elmer was apparently lured to Dean's apartment by David, but instead of killing him, Dean decided he would make a good accomplice. Oh, my gosh. And so he gave Elmer the same offer he gave David, which was $200 for every young man that he'd bring him. Okay. He told Elmer that he was involved in a white slavery ring. And so that's where the kids were going. That's not really what's happening. No. And Elmer, for a couple of months, was like, no, fuck this guy, right? I'm not doing that. Oh, my God. And he didn't say... What's crazy is, like, you're looking for your missing friend... And then you run you into this guy. find out where they go. Yeah. Yeah, you run into this guy like, oh, maybe that's what happened to my friend. Right? You didn't put those two together? Oh, no, Elmer. So he wasn't having it for a while, and then he eventually broke down because his family needed money. And yeah. so he's like, well, that's a quick way to make some good oh, cash. Yeah. And so Elmer and Dean were driving around, and they saw a young man at the corner and asked him to come party and smoke pot with them at Dean's house. Ugh, don't do it, guys. The little boy accepted, and once they got to the apartment, Dean and Elmer had practiced, like, a little fucking act that they were going to perform in order to cuff the boy. Oh, my God. It's like a a magic act? Uh, Kind of. Legit, yeah. So Elmer cuffed his own hands behind his back and then freed himself using a hidden key in his back pocket. Oh, my God. And then he told the kid to try it. Oh, God. And so then... I'm pretty sure I would have fallen for that as a kid. Me, too. So this kid cuffed himself with his hands behind his back, and Dean was like, great, thanks, and then bound and gagged him. Oh, my God. Elmer left him alone with Dean, thinking he was going to be sold into sex slavery. The boy's identity isn't known for certain, but he's believed to be 17-year-old Willard Branch. Oh, man. Whose emasculated body was found buried in the boat shed. Ugh. Does that just mean they, like, chop off his dick? Yep. Ugh. That's fucked up. That's super fucked up. Total side note. Yeah. This boat shed had to fucking smell. Yeah, like they must have dug the first people deep. Right. So they're just layering them. So March 24th, 1972, Elmer, David, and Dean were out driving and saw Elmer's acquaintance, Frank Aguirre, who was 17, leaving a restaurant where he worked. Uh-huh. Elmer called Frank over to the van and was like, hey, come party with us. We're going to be drinking and smoking. I got these magic handcuffs. <laughs> right? Check this shit out. So then Frank agreed and followed them to Dean's house in his Rambler. Oh, shit. When they got to the apartment, they were all smoking, and Frank noticed handcuffs that Dean had left out, 
and he picked him up to look at him and dean was like oh shit and he jumped on him tackled him oh god and cuffed his hands behind his back like this is my moment yeah like well now he knows right oh shit so supposedly at least according to elmer he had tried to persuade dean not to kill frank but dean was like nope and then oh god he told elmer that he had raped tortured and killed the last boy that he had brought him oh god and elmer had thought he was going into sex slavery yeah which I don't really get how that's any better. No. But it's other different. Other than they didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> or he thought they weren't dying. Yeah. And so then Elmer helped David and Dean bury Frank at High Island Beach. Oh. So now he's like fully in it, fully aware, right? Yeah. So even though he now knew for sure what was happening to the boys he brought over, he still assisted in abducting young men for this guy. Oh, God. So the next one was 17-year-old Mark Scott, who was friends with both David and Elmer. He was grabbed by force and fought against Dean when he was trying to restrain him. He even tried to stab him. Oh, my God. But he saw Elmer pointing a gun at him, and so he gave up. He was tied to the torture board, and he was raped, tortured, strangled, and buried at High Island Beach. Oh, my God. So they had to move places. Yeah, I guess the boat shed was kind of running out of room. Yeah. According to David, Elmer was an active participant in some of the murders and was pretty sadistic Aye. they had abducted two young men named billy balch and johnny delome and according to david elmer strangled billy and then shouted hey johnny before shooting johnny in the forehead oh shit the bullet exited johnny's ear and didn't kill him yuck and so the guy was begging for his life and elmer strangled him oh my god the three also lured a 19 year old boy named billy to dean's apartment and billy was tied to the torture board and abused by dean and apparently David persuaded Dean to let Billy go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know if that caused some kind of a tension between the three, but then the next time that David entered Dean's house, Elmer knocked him unconscious. Oh, shit. Dean tied David up to his bed. <gasps> oh, God. And assaulted him repeatedly. Oh, God. Before letting him go. Oh, God. David stayed. Oh, my God. He still stayed and helped Dean with abducting other men. What a bad idea. Yeah. Get out while you can. Fucking right? Like, that would have been a perfect opportunity to be like, you know what? I don't think this is for me anymore. Fuck you guys. (laughs) So Dean also acted alone at times, and in the summer of 1972, he abducted 17-year-old Stephen Sickman, who was leaving a party. He was hit with a blunt instrument in the chest before being strangled and buried in the boat shed. Oh my god, he's back to the boat shed. Yeah. Had to wait for the soil to settle a little. Squeeze a couple more in. And the next month, 19-year-old Roy Bunton was taken while walking to work. He was shot twice in the head and buried in the boat shed. Oh, God. In October 2nd of 1972, David and Elmer were driving together when they saw two young men, Wally J. Simoneau and Richard Hembry. They were walking to Richard's home when David and Elmer convinced them to get in David's Corvette and come party with them. They brought him to Dean's apartment, and then that evening, Wally called his mom and yelled, Mama, but the line was disconnected. No! Yeah. I don't want to know that part. The next morning, Elmer accidentally shot Richard in the mouth. Sure. And then hours later, both boys were strangled and buried in a common grave in a boat shed. Oh my god. In a common grave. I think we can call this a mass grave at this point. I feel like it's all pretty common at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So then the next month, Richard Kepner, who was 19, went missing on his way to a phone booth. And he was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. So this whole time, Dean was moving around and had switched apartments like five times. Wait, this boat shed I thought was like in his yard. He rented the boat shed. 
It wasn't in his oh. yard. Oh. Yeah. Sorry if that's confusing. Interesting. In January 1973, 17-year-old Joseph Lyles was abducted and killed, and he was known to both David and Dean, and he lived on the same street as David. Wow. February 1973, Elmer moved to Mount Pleasant, apparently to get away from Dean. Yeah, good idea. And so then from February to June in 1973, there were no known murders. Wow. And that's thought to be because Elmer left. Yeah. Elmer came back. Oh, God. And so the relationship between the three of them continued. Uh And Elmer and David also agreed that there was an increase in frequency and brutality of the killings. Oh, God. They said they could tell when Dean was itching for a new boy because he was, like, a drug addict and would start, like, chain smoking. Jesus Christ. He would get restless and he would, like, twitch reflexively. Oh. Yeah. Creepy. Elmer said it was, like, bloodlust. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And why why would you help facilitate this, Elmer? Fucking right. Why wouldn't you be like, oh, you know what? I think this guy's a little fucking nuts. Yeah. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. So then, June 4th, 1973, Elmer and Dean took 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence, and he was kept alive for three days, abused and tortured, and he was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Oh my god. Okay, a new body dumping grounds. Yep. Not even two weeks later, 20-year-old Raymond Stanley Blackburn was abducted, strangled, and buried at the same lake. July 6th, 1973, Elmer started taking driving classes, and he met 15-year-old Homer Luis Garcia. The next day, Homer called home to tell his mom that he was going to stay the night at his friend's house. And he was shot and left to bleed to death in Dean's tub. Jesus. He was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Five days later, oh 17-year-old John Sellers was abducted, bound, shot, and buried at High Island Beach. So now, back to the other beach. How many fucking, like, what is the body count at? I don't know what it's at right now, but it ends with... 28 confirmed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So then in July 1973, David married his pregnant girlfriend. So then Elmer was Dean's only accomplice. Uh Uh-huh. Elmer assisted in the abduction and murder of three young men who were 15-year-old Michael Balch, who was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. And the other two were Charles Cobble and Marty Ray Jones. Elmer buried both of them himself in the boat shed. This is like a lot of work. I know I Dude. always say this, especially about yours, because your yours always involved like a shit ton of murders. <laughs> I know a shit ton of murders and a shit ton of work, like the dismemberment yeah. of that one. Yeah, yeah, and like the boat shed wasn't on his property, and neither are these beaches and lakes. You exactly. know, like god damn. So August third, nineteen seventy three, a thirteen year old boy named James Stanton Dramala was taken by David, who was apparently back in business now. And Dean. Okay. And they picked him up with the promise of giving him empty glass bottles to turn in to recycle. Mm. And James Joy. was tied to the torture board, raped, tortured, and strangled with a cord. Jesus. I promise, guys, it doesn't get better, but it you'll get justice. Good. A little bit. <laughs> On August 7th, 1973, Elmer brought Timothy Cordell Curley to Dean's house to party and they were sniffing paint and drinking, and then around midnight, they went to go buy sandwiches. Nothing like a wild night of sniffing paint. Right? Who actually <laughs> does that? And so, now let's get sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. I guess you get hungry? I don't know. Like, why not just stick with known drugs, like pot? <laughs> so they went back to Elmer's house after the sandwiches, and when Elmer... It's a silly snack. I don't know why it's making me giggle. I was confused as to why in 1973 there were sandwich shops open. 
at midnight. Oh, like, doesn't that sound like they wouldn't be? Yeah, I don't think their sandwich shop opens now. Exactly, that was hard to say. You know hey, what you I mean? Got it. Like Denny's, I you guess. Get a sandwich there. I wouldn't recommend it. Not like Jersey Mike's though. They're closed. No. Yeah. <laughs> so they went back to Elmer's house after the sandwiches. And then when Elmer got out of the vehicle, a 15-year-old neighbor named Rhonda Williams, who was actually a friend of Elmer, she was outside and had just been beaten by her drunk dad. Oh, God. And so Elmer invited her to go with them back to Dean's house to stay the night until her dad sobered up. Oh, and she agreed. Mm-hmm. They got back to Dean's house at about 3 a.m., and Dean was fucking pissed. Like, this isn't a boy. Yeah, he was pissed that Elmer had brought a girl into his house. Oh, shit. Especially because Timothy, the other boy with them, was Uh supposed to be Dean's next target. Oh, God. So then Dean told Elmer that he had ruined everything. Oh, shit. That Elmer kind of explained the situation, like, uh, she just got beat by her dad, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And so Dean calmed down. Have a heart. Yeah. So then they all smoked pot and drank beer, and Elmer and Timothy were still sniffing paint. Oh, my God. And the three kids passed out. Uh-huh. Elmer woke up to his hands being handcuffed behind his back. Oh, shit. His mouth was taped shut, and his ankles were bound. Rhonda and Timothy were beside him, both bound and gagged as well. Oh, God. And Timothy was naked. Oh, God. When Dean realized that Elmer was awake, he ungagged him, and they started arguing about <laughs> the state of affairs. <laughs> That's what I wrote. <laughs> they started arguing about, like, why the fuck he was tied this up. This scenario, yeah. Yeah. And Dean said he was still pissed about Elmer bringing a girl to his house. Uh-huh. And Dean was yelling at him, I'm going to kill you. Oh, shit. I'm going to kill you all, but oh, first shit. I'm going to have my fun. Ew. Yeah. I bet Elmer's shitting himself right about now. Right? Because he knows it's fucking happening, right? Yeah. So then he kicked Rhonda in the chest a bunch of times. Oh. Because he's a dick. Yeah. As if that wasn't obvious. Yeah, if <laughs> he's not a dick enough for everything yeah. else he's done. So then Dean dragged Elmer into the kitchen and held a gun to his stomach, threatening to shoot him. Oh, God. Elmer calmed Dean down by promising to help torture and murder the other two. And so Dean untied him, brought the other two into his bedroom, and tied them to opposite sides of the torture board. Oh, God. Dean ordered Elmer to cut away Rhonda's clothes, and he said that he was going to rape and kill Timothy and wanted Elmer to do the same to Rhonda. Oh, God. At this point, Timothy and Rhonda wake up, and Timothy was, like, trying to yell, but he had his gag. Yeah. And Elmer had taken Rhonda's gag out of her mouth, and so she was asking, is this for real? Oh, my God. And Elmer said yes, so she asked, are you going to do anything about it? And so then Elmer asked Dean if he could take Rhonda into another room, I assume, to be like, hey, man, let's get out of here, right? Yeah. But Dean ignored him, and so Elmer grabbed Dean's gun and was like, you've gone far enough. Oh, shit. I can't have you kill all my friends. And oh, my God. Dean was like, fucking do it. And was moving <gasps> towards Elmer and, like, trying to call his bluff and yelling, you won't do it. You won't do oh it. Oh, my God. So Elmer shot Dean in the forehead. Oh, my God. But it didn't go through his skull. Ew, what? So he kept coming at him. <gasps> it's a twenty-two. I know what? all the gun fanatics out there are like, that has no stopping power. But <laughs> at the same time, it's a twenty two. Like, it's still a fucking gun. Oh, God. So he's still coming at him, right? Oh, that's a terrible idea. You just made him mad. Elmer shot two more times, hitting him in the shoulder. Oh, and my God. Dean ran out of the room, and Elmer shot three more times into Dean's back. Oh, my he God. died in the hallway outside <gasps> the room. What? Yeah. All you had to do this whole time was get a girl involved? 
Yeah, fucking Elmer. And then he'd fucking come at him. So then Elmer said, looking back, the main thought on his mind after killing Dean was of how proud Dean would be and how quickly he reacted to the confrontation. What the fuck? Because Dean was, like, trying to train him to react quick and great. Ew. He said, react fast and greatly. And that's what he did. Gross. Isn't that weird? I mean, go Elmer, but you're still a dick. Yeah, listen, Elmer's not innocent in this. No. But also, at least he finally fucking got some sense and killed Pulled this the guy. Pulled the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Yeah. <laughs> so, Elmer released his friends and told them to go home, and they were like, no, man, fucking call the cops. <laughs> and so, Elmer was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> so, Elmer called the police at 8.24 a.m. on August 8th, 1973, and he told them he'd just killed a man. And when the three of them were waiting on the police, they were outside on the porch, and Elmer told Rhonda he had killed four or five times before. Uh, he said, like, I've done that four or five times before. Oh, my God. He also told Timothy that if you weren't my friend, I could have gotten $200 for you. <gasps> Fucking like asshole. Right? Yeah. So then Elmer told the police everything. He said he killed Dean in self-defense, and Rhonda and Timothy, their statements corroborated that. Yeah. He also told them about the whole operation, including David, and that it had been going on for over three years. Where's David during all this? He just wasn't there that night. Oh, okay. Guess he got married and had a family and shit, right? He did get married, and he, they did have a kid, but he was still involved afterward. Yeah. He just wasn't there all the time? Yeah. Not, like, living there? Yeah. So, police didn't believe Elmer at first. What? And they thought that Dean was the only murderer, and that it had probably happened because of a drug-fueled fight. Oh, shit. He's like, go check the goddamn boat shed. Exactly. <laughs> so, Elmer was pretty insistent and started naming off some of the boys that they had killed and the police recognized some of the names belonging to missing boys oh my god also the entire bedroom floor was covered in plastic sheeting Ugh. and there was a torture board yeah come check in this house real quick guys yeah and there was rope and handcuffs and other murder paraphernalia like motors with loose wires Ugh. and I wrote dildos. That's not murder paraphernalia. (laughs) But I mean, in this case, it was assault paraphernalia. Yeah. So Dean's van was also pretty murdery. Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure. Yeah. A van, right? Weird. Yeah. The back windows were sealed with curtains. There was rope, rugs, a wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides. Oh, good. There was a pegboard in the back of the van that was rigged up with rings and hooks. Jesus. There was another people crate in the backyard. Ew. And there were strands of human hair found caught in the holes. No. So police dug up the boat shed on August 8th and found eight bodies horribly tortured. Oh. I'm not going to go into the specifics because I fucking got sick. Oh. So... David turned himself in and denied having any participation in the murders because at this point it got out like that this had all happened and that Elmer had named him, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he was like, yo, I knew the guy, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, sure. He admitted that he knew Dean had raped and killed two young men in 1970, though. Like, that's all that he would admit to. Okay, uh (laughs) uh-huh. In Elmer's written statement, he admitted to having personally killed about nine young men and assisting Dean in strangling others. Jesus. He also implicated David, saying that only three murders were committed without David being present, and those were when he was getting married. Wow. Yeah. Damn. So then Elmer took the police to Lake Sam Rayburn, and they found two more bodies. 
And there was also a lakeside log cabin owned by Dean that an additional torture board was found inside. Jesus Christ. They returned to the boat shed the next day and found nine more bodies. Many oh were found God. with genital mutilation. So this is like the grossest part that I'm going to say. There's grosser shit that happened. And if you want those details, I'm not going to tell you them. <laughs> but one of them had the severed genitalia found in a sealed plastic bag beside his body. Ew. Isn't that gross? That's weird. So then David gave a full confession that evening because now you're like, all right, there's fucking more bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I was involved. Yeah. So he admitted to being present during many of the murders, but still denied any participation. Uh Uh-huh. So they had the testimony of Rhonda and Timothy and Billy Rittinger, who David had convinced Dean to let go. Remember Uh that guy? Yeah. 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 So the jury indicted Elmer on six charges of murder and David on four. Okay. And there was supposed to be a psychiatric evaluation on Elmer to see if he could stand trial, but his lawyer said it would violate his constitutional rights. What? Yeah. I would have been like, fucking do the test, because worst case scenario, you don't have to stand trial. Yeah. But whatever. So the boys are tried separately. Elmer was tried in San Antonio in July 1974, and after deliberating for 92 minutes, they found Elmer guilty of all six murders he was charged with. Probably the easiest fucking trial to yeah yeah they had a lot of evidence and a lot of bodies yeah yeah and elmer was like open about all of it yeah like no this happened if you were to believe him which i mean he's implicating himself a lot so i think you would yeah so elmer was sentenced to 99 years for each for a total of 594 years jesus christ elmer appealed and Uh, won what because the trial shouldn't have been in san antonio for some reason Okay. The retrial ended with the same results, though. Oh, my God. What a waste of fucking time. Yeah, exactly. So then David was tried in February 1975 for only the murder of the 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence. He was found guilty and sentenced to life. Oh, my God. This guy got away with a lot, literally a bunch of murders. Yeah, he did. But he's still sentenced to life. Yeah, but still. Yeah, you don't, the family doesn't get that, like, yeah, justification. Yeah. Admit to it, you little dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, in total, there were at least 28 victims, but most likely more. Jesus Christ. And that's what ruined my motherfucking day. God damn. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's creepy. I was like started reading it and i was like oh this is a good one so then i started like researching it and actually typing up my shit and everything before i had read through all of it and i was like holy shit it goes on forever there's so many how did so what was his like span of murdering spree 1970 to 1973 oh my god he was real fucking quick about it jesus that's like a murder every few months yeah at least yeah jesus and at the end there he was doing it like five days seven days oh my gosh like a week apart so when they like found all those bodies a lot of them had to be like pretty decomposed then yeah and they still found signs of torture yeah well well they went to the boat shed Uh on the 8th and they found like eight bodies or something and then the next day they went back to the boat shed and then they dug deeper Deeper. and then they found more bodies that were more decomposed but they were all wrapped in plastic so Uh. they were Kind of preserved. Kind of preserved, yeah. Ew. So one of the worst things that I read, and I really didn't want to say it, but now I really want to tell you because it's fucking in my brain. Oh, God. You're going to give us some of the details? Yeah. There were glass tubes found in some of the boys' urethras ah! that were shattered. Ah! What the fuck? Ah! What the fuck? Why is that a thing? I don't know. Who but would it's do like that? the most awful thing I can think of. Was that like obviously their form of torture? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> 
Isn't that gross? Ah, Don't you just freaks? feel so bad for these little boys? Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the boys had, like, broken ribs. I mean, some of them were shot. Some of them were strangled. They had, like, cloth in their mouth. Like, they were still gagged. They were pretty fucking grossly it tortured. It was obvious that they were tortured. Yeah. Even if they were decomposing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Isn't that awful? That's terrible. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, God damn. God damn. All right, give me your story. Okay, my story, Stacy, Aaron, <laughs> is about Mitchell Carlton Sims. All right. Also known as the human ashtray. Ew. Okay, for the record, the human ashtray part literally has nothing to do with his murders. Oh. I guess he was like one of these guys, like his background is he grew up in like a shitty household. He barely saw his dad maybe like two or three times in his life. Uh-huh. And his stepfather abused the fuck out of like the entire family. Oh. Like he would hear his mom being raped. His stepfather would like rape his sister. And oh my like, God. I know some weird shit. Like he would make them take their clothes off and lay in bed next to each other. And he Ew. would want him to rape his sister and he <gasps> wouldn't do it. And he would get, like, beaten shit. And so this guy had, like, a fucked up childhood. Jesus. And as an adult, he would do stupid shit, like, put cigarettes out on his chest. Because he's had he's, worse. Yeah, exactly. So that's where he gets the human ashtray nickname from. Okay. But it has nothing to do with his murder. <laughs> Is he Fifty Shades? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's Fifty Shades of fucked up. All How right. About that? There we go. All right. So... March 1985, Mitchell Sims, he was 24 years old at the time, and he was working as a manager at Domino's Pizza in West Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. There's a lot of directions in that name. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, Mitchell became, like, super upset when, allegedly, his boss withheld some of his bonus from his paycheck. Ooh. And he was like, fuck you, I hate you. Okay. And Reasonable he, reaction. Yeah, and he complained about it, but nothing ever happened. So he came up with this, like, plan of revenge. And his plan was that he was going to try to get all of his coworkers to walk out on the job on the same day. Okay. And then report his supervisor to, like, fucking Domino headquarters. Yeah. And that they would have to fire his supervisor. And then everybody would, like, get their job back right away. Yeah, and everyone would clap. Yeah. <laughs> This was his grand plan. Okay. So when the day came for the walkout, everybody fucking bailed on Mitchell. And only Mitchell and one other employee quit. Oh. And that other employee was Ruby Paget, who just so happened to also be Mitchell's girlfriend. Oh. So she kind of had that obligation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had to. And she'd only worked at Domino's for about a month at the time. So she's like, whatever, fuck this place. Yeah, yeah I fucking hate this job too. Let's go. Yeah. So obviously Mitchell gets real pissed off. Yeah. Because nobody followed along with his plan, and now he's out of a job. Okay. And so for, like, ever, he would always rant about how pissed he was about the scenario and that he was going to kill his former boss. Oh, God. And he planned on blowing up Domino's. Not a, not a real not a normal, stable guy. Not a normal reaction, no. No. I guess at one point he even bought a gun and shit, like, while Jesus. he was talking about this. Yeah. Was he still with the girlfriend, like, that whole time? Yeah. Oh, and she's like, yeah, get him. Yeah, which I didn't realize this till, and I don't think I put this anywhere in my notes because I didn't realize it till the end, but I guess Mitchell had a wife at the time and was, like, cheating on his wife with Ruby. Okay. But I think they were kind of separated but not divorced. All right. I don't know. Pizza hose. It was was really weird. Anyway, so he's all pissed off, buys himself a gun. I'll blow up all the dominoes. 
And then he's like, I'm going to go get me a job at another Domino's. All right. So he gets a job at another Domino's in Hanahan, South Carolina, which is about an hour away from the original Domino's. Okay. And on December 3rd of 1985, Mitchell went into his work with a handgun and he decided to rob the place that he fucking worked at. Most people that you work with would recognize you. Yeah. Not a good plan, right? No. Well, he had a gun. So I guess his plan was that he was going to take two of his co-workers, Mm -hmm. Gary Melky and Christopher Zare. They were both 24 years old, and they were enlisted in the Navy, and they, I guess they worked at Domino's as well. Yeah. And they were working that night when Mitchell went to rob the place. Yeah. So Mitchell's like, I'm going to take them hostage. Great. And he does so, and he takes all of the money in the register, and then he made the men get on their knees, and he fired a single bullet into Christopher's head. What and, the fuck? Yeah. And then shot Gary four times in the <gasps> head, like execution style. Oh, my God. All just to rob the goddamn dominoes. Now that's murder. Yeah. This just escalated quickly. Jesus. So Mitchell then, like, flees the scene, like, fuck, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And somehow Gary, the guy who got shot four times in the head, he wasn't fucking dead. What? Yeah. And so he crawls to his car and drives to the nearest police station, which is about Wait a minute. three blocks he away. He wasn't dead enough to drive? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Isn't that crazy? To see and stuff? And he could. He drove. He didn't call anyone. He drove. Maybe he was like, his first instinct was like to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, and maybe. And then he was like, let me go to the police. So That's he, fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah, right? So he drives three blocks away to the police station. He drags himself into the lobby of the station. And the police are like, what the fuck just happened? And he tells them, hey, this coworker of ours, he like names Mitchell, Mm -hmm. just came in and shot me and my friend Christopher, who are working today. So like, go fucking help Christopher also. Yeah. So the, the police rush to the Domino's to go help Christopher. Yeah. And like give him medical attention. And they call the, call an ambulance and shit. Yeah. And they find Chris laying on the floor in a pool of blood with his hands tied behind his back (gasps) with a telephone cord. And he was alive at the time, but then he died shortly thereafter. What? And I think he also named Mitchell as the shooter. Wait a minute. So he wasn't tied up before. No, he was tied up. I forgot to mention that. Actually, the guy who went into the police station also was like had bounds on his hand. Like he had gotten out of them. Oh, they were still tied to his wrist. Okay. So Christopher at Domino's was also still tied up and in a pool of blood and he was still responsive, but he died shortly thereafter. Yeah. Okay. I thought like the guy came back. Yeah. Creepier. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, good thing he got out. Yeah. Good thing he didn't just call the cops. (laughs) Okay. So in the hospital, Gary was being treated for the four gunshot wounds and he had to have a metal casing removed from his tongue from Ooh, one of the bullets. What the fuck? Ugh. And he was able to identify Mitchell as the person who had attacked him. And the police rushed to Mitchell's house to go arrest him. Good. Because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what police do. Yeah. Get him. Yeah. Boys in blue. <laughs> when they arrive, they obviously find that Mitchell is not home. Oh, weird. And then Gary ends up dying five days later of a heart attack while he's being treated for his wounds. Oh, my God. So he survived four fucking gunshot wounds to his head, and then he died of a heart attack. At least he was able to name his killer. Yeah. Like, that's so true. That's not a lot, but yeah, at least it's, it's something. something. Yeah. For sure. So Mitchell and his girlfriend, Ruby, they, like, go on the run, and they run away to... Hold the phone. Yeah. Ruby's like, okay. Let's do this shit. 
Yeah. Just fucking on board. Yeah. God damn. They don't really mention much of her involvement in planning what just or anything. happened, yeah. but yeah. She wow. Get, she gets involved. Okay. So then they run away to <laughs> Glendale. Fucking ride or die, bitch. <laughs> yeah, she's not <laughs> fucking around for like just a side bitch, huh? Yeah. So they run away to Glendale, California, where they were hiding out in a hotel. Okay. And on December 8th, so this is five days later. Okay. The day fucking Gary dies. Yeah. So December 8th, Mitchell and Ruby go into a Domino's that's close to the hotel that they were, like, hiding out at. Oh, no. And they ask the assistant manager, Croy Sprinoff, for directions to a local drugstore. Okay. So then the following day, the couple are seen at a local Sears store, and they're buying socks, underwear, a clothesline, and a knife. Okay. And I guess a sales clerk had overheard Ruby say to Mitchell... Relax, we'll be leaving the store shortly. So I don't know if he was like... I mean, it sounds like every guy who's shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I just need to get the fuck out of here. And you're like, hold up. I I need need to get my socks. I need fresh undies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he was concerned with, like, being recognized. And she's like, just fucking chill. Probably. That's probably the scenario. (laughs) So then that night... So this is the day after the Domino's manager gives them directions to a drugstore. Yeah. That night, Mitchell called the local Domino's store and ordered a pizza to be delivered to room 205 of the Regalage Motel. Okay. That's the motel they were hiding out at. So the motel was only like a three-minute drive from the Domino's store. Mm-hmm. And that night, three men were on shift at Domino's. It was Croy Sprinoff, the guy who gave the directions to Mitchell the day before. Mm-hmm. And then two delivery drivers, Edward Sycam and 21-year-old John Harrigan. Okay. So... At 11.26 p.m., John Harrigan gets into his Toyota truck and delivers the pizza to the ho- hotel room. 11.26? Yeah, it's a late night. Yeah, how, la- how long are they open? I don't fucking know. How late are normal pizza places open? Well, probably midnight. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the end of their shift. Yeah. Still, I feel like it's a... It's like fucked up. It's like, oh, we're 10, 10 minutes to close Ugh. and you go into a restaurant, you know? It's the worst time to get murdered. Exactly. Spoiler alert. You're about to be off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Okay, so John gets to the hotel room, and he knocks on the door, and when he does, Mitchell and Ruby force the delivery man inside the room, and they shove him on the floor. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but my husband still works at Domino's occasionally. Yeah, this I know. This is scary. I know. I was thinking of that when I was writing this. I'm like, Aaron's going to hate this fucking story. Yeah, I don't like this. Okay, so it doesn't get better. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> they took off his shirt. And they gagged him with a washcloth, like he was wearing his work shirt, and they took his work shirt off. And they gagged him with a washcloth and, like, tied a sock around that, like, shoved the washcloth in his mouth and then tied a sock around his head to hold it like a gag. Yeah. And then they put a pillowcase over his head. Oh, my God. And they hogtied him with a rope and wrapped it around his neck, like that kind of hogtie. Jesus. Yeah. And then they filled the bathtub full of water. What the fuck? And they put him face down in the tub. Why? And as he struggled to get out of the tub, the rope tightened around his neck and it slowly strangled him as he was drowning. Is that not the worst fucking way? What the fuck? I like how you're all sweet and you're like, I'm not going to share these terrible details. I know, these awful details. And I'm like, I just researched every fucking detail. That's that's so sick. Yeah. Yeah. It takes some fucked up people to figure that shit Why? out. Why? Like, how do drivers have, like, 20 bucks on them tops? I know. And how do you even think of that? Well, this wasn't even about money so much as it was, like, well, I guess they were stealing money, but it was, like, his hatred for Domino's. 
Yeah, but this poor fucking delivery driver has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it. He's That's like taking it out on your waitress. Mitch is a dick. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so, obviously this kills John. And once John is dead, Mitchell put on John's Domino's t-shirt. Oh, God. And Ruby and him got into John's truck and drove to the Domino's. What the fuck? Yeah. At 11.45, so this is like 20 minutes later, after John had left the store, the couple stormed back into the Domino's where Croy and Edward are working, the other two Domino's workers. Okay. So Mitchell forces Croy and Edward into the back office. Like, they come and they're like, yeah, stick them up. (laughs) And then they push him into the back office. And Croy warns Mitchell that there's a third delivery driver that's due to come back to the store. And he's talking about John. Yeah. And when he returns, they're going to be busted. Like, hey, man, there's another man coming here. You're not going to get away with this shit. And at this time, Mitchell then takes off his sweater, which had been covering up John's Domino's employee t-shirt. Oh, my God. And it has John's name tag on it. And Mitchell says... No, I don't think so. That's so fucking psychotic. Creepy. Like, you fucking plan that shit out. Like, voila! Yeah. Like, like thanks for asking that question. Fucking dramatic reveal. Jesus Christ. So, Mitchell then corners the two workers and points a gun at them and instructs Ruby to start looking for money. Yeah. But to be careful about fingerprints as she does so. So he's like, fill the fucking bag with all the fucking flour they have around those places <laughs> yeah with all your cash yeah like a pizza joint doesn't seem like the most no and they put it in like safes place. yeah yeah well she finds a bunch of cash and she puts it in bags and she starts wiping the place down for prints like what mitchell said to do okay during the robbery a customer shows up uh-huh. and mitchell's like yo act like everything's normal and tells croy to go help the customer out yeah and says like you know do it without revealing what's going on like fucking yeah don't let him know i'm holding this place up and if you do i'll fucking shoot you and so croy complies only this wasn't really a normal customer this was another domino's employee oh shit so the off-duty employee noticed that his co-worker croy was pretending to not know him like was just yeah. treating him like a normal customer and then he saw mitchell who he didn't recognize wearing john's, john's domino's <laughs> t-shirt with the name tag on it and he thought well this is fucking suspicious yeah i guess mitchell was also smoking a cigarette in the store which was against policy and fucking a little suspicious <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean this is the 80s so i don't really know what the smoking in the fucking store policy it, it's was, against but... policy yeah yeah it's not like it maybe didn't stand out as much so much as like a hey we're not supposed to do that here <laughs> yeah but i don't think employees should have ever been smoking yeah in the back. that's true like do it on your work break or customers could smoke in the front maybe yeah you know? but not while you're cooking the goddamn food yeah you don't want ash in your pizza okay so the guy notices all this and he's like uh that's fucking weird and while he's in the store a customer calls and mitchell answers the phone but he answers saying like hi this is mitch like thanks for calling fucking Domino's or whatever they say and he uses his name mitch yeah even though he has on the name tag john yeah and so the guy's like something's fucking really fishy here and he gets his pizza and then he leaves the store fucking good thing this guy wasn't just like hey hey croy Croy, what are you doing yeah croy how's it going why are you acting weird yeah (laughs) you know me (laughs) what is this are you trying to send me a sign you're a crazy man (laughs) like right jeez good fucking friend man yeah so while all this shit's going on mitchell and ruby take the two employees like literally hostage like once the customer leaves yeah quote-unquote customer leaves they take uh croy and edward hostage and they tie their hands behind their backs and then they lead the employees into the walk-in 
walk-in freezer. Okay. And they proceed to tie them up in a way where their hands are tied behind their backs and the rope is, like, strung through some racks that were in the freezer. And then Mitchell pulled down on the rope so it would, like, painfully hoist the men's arms up behind their back. Yeah. And then he tied that other end of the rope around their necks. And he tied it so tight and pulled it, like, taut enough to where they had to stand on their tippy toes to keep from strangling themselves. Oh, my God. Yeah. This guy is fucked up. How the fuck did he think of this? Yeah, that's... I Gross. don't know. That's, like, torture shit. Yeah, yeah. Super sadistic. Like, I didn't really kill them. I just put them in a scenario where they're probably gonna die. Yeah, where they're gonna kill themselves, technically. Ugh. And, like, the hog tie, same thing. Yeah. Ugh. That's fucking awful. Yep. So Mitchell asks the men, like, when is somebody gonna come back and open the freezer? And they, they say, like, the next shift is 11 in the morning. Like, we're the last shift, right? Yeah. So it'll be 11 in the morning. And Mitchell replies with something along the lines of, like, good, I'll be in San Francisco by then. Like, oh my that's God. long enough before anybody's going to find you. So, Croy- so he fully expected these men to die because yes. he wouldn't say that to someone. Yeah. Like, haha, I'm going to be down the street at the fucking yeah, exactly. Holiday Inn. Exactly. Here's my address. Yeah, <laughs> come find me. Yeah. If you get out of this, I'll give you a prize. So Croy then asks about John and, like, what happened to him. And Mitchell replied that he was tied up at the hotel and he'd be found after the people found their bodies in the freezer. So, like... They're not going to find him till after you guys, and he's tied up at the hotel, like some ominous fucking reply. Well, and considering the way that they're tied up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so now it is 12.15 a.m., so it's been like another, what, 30 minutes since they've gotten there? Yeah. And Mitchell and Ruby flee the scene, and they leave Croy and Edward tied up in the freezer. While they're in the freezer, one of the men decide that they should try to knock over some of the boxes nearby so that they can stand on them to relieve the tension on the rope around their neck. Yeah. And so they're, like, kicking around, trying to knock it over, and they actually get one of them, one of them somehow knocks some of the crates over, but I don't know that they were ever able to, like, stand on it or what. Like, every time they tried to do it, the ropes would tighten around their necks. Oh, my God. And at one point, one of the guys, like, passed out, like, blacked out from it because he was literally choking himself. But the good news is that, like, while all this shit was happening, that off-duty employee was so suspicious that he called the store manager and was like, yo, there's some, like, weird shit going on. Like, I stopped by the store and there was this guy. Is somebody supposed to be there from another store? And the store manager was like, uh, what the fuck? And called the cops because he's like, no, that doesn't sound good at all. Wow. Good on them. Yeah. Especially if you're not just calling the store and like having fucking like, Hello. one of them answer like, oh, right. yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So they call the cops and at 1230, the cops arrive and they find <gasps> Croy and Edward tied up in the freezer while one of them had blacked out. They were both still alive. Wow. Yay. Yay. And they tell the cops everything about John being tied up at the hotel. Yeah. And they're like, oh, help our friend John. And when they get there, they find that John is dead. Yeah. And he was in the bathtub, which was full of water. And he was laying on his right side with his back parallel to the side of the tub. And the cold water was running at full blast. Oh, my on God. On the back of his neck. And his head was, like, directly under the water spigot. Oh, it's so fucked up. I know. Get this shit. The tub plug was broken on the tub, but they had the water blasting so hard that the water had filled up to the overflow valve. So it was like a full tub of water, even though yeah. it wasn't actually like plugged up or anything. That's fucked up. It's so heartbreaking. And then he was hogtied, like I said, 
and they had it like tied around his neck and a pillowcase over his head and the washcloth in his mouth and they did an autopsy on him and it showed that a combination of the vessels in his eyes and the eyelids that had like burst uh, like between that and the ligature mark around his neck indicated that the rope had been applied to his neck while he was still alive so I mean, we know that yeah. now, but this is them, like, figuring shit out. Like, they they tied the rope around his neck and then threw him in the tub. Yeah. And John also had, like, a white, frothy substance in his bronchial tube, showing that he had also inhaled some of the water when he was put in the tub, indicating that he was alive when he was submerged in the oh tub. Oh, my God. And his official cause of death was drowning. That's so So he, like, up. couldn't breathe. He could barely breathe. And then whatever he could breathe was fucking water because he was underwater. Oh, my God. That's, like, the worst. That's my nightmare. Yeah, that's the worst. So none of John's belongings, like his wallet or money or anything, were in the hotel room. And the phone lines in the room had been cut, which I thought was really fucking weird. Maybe they're, like, in case they get out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Super fucking weird. But the whole room had been wiped clean of fingerprints. But Mitchell's prints were found on the inside of a toilet paper roll. Ah. Interesting. Who As touches well, it on the inside? I don't know. Maybe he was changing it. No man changes the toilet paper roll. Yeah. Though. Get out of here Especially with that. Especially at a hotel. Exactly. That's someone else's job. And you're not there long enough to change a toilet paper roll. No. Maybe he had a lot of dominoes, so he was shitting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. That pan pizza, I'll get ya. Oh, man, the grease. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so another thing that had his fingerprints on it was there was a phone book, and it was flipped open to the page for pizza and mm-hmm. it had his fingerprints on it like pointing at dominoes <laughs> yeah. here's a clue <laughs> aha see here a clue pizza dominoes we Ugh. have our man okay so the rope that was used to tie up both of the employees in the freezer as well as john was the same rope that was bought at sears the mm-hmm. day before and the knots were like identical so uh hello yeah Mitchell did it. Connection. Yeah. On December 25th, fucking Christmas Day in Las Vegas. Oh my this God. is like weeks later, by the way. It takes this fucking long. Yeah. In Las Vegas, Mitchell and Ruby were arrested thanks to an anonymous tip. So they were on the fucking run for a little while. Holy shit. And they went to Vegas. Where would you go? <laughs> somewhere where, I don't know, somewhere where like not people are going to see me. Yeah, I guess somewhere with less people. Yeah. But you could also blend in in Vegas, That's I feel like. That's true. But Vegas seems like an expensive place to run away and hide at. Not if you just knocked over some dominoes. <laughs> Got money to burn. All that pizza money. Yeah. So when the police raided their hotel room, they found a gun hidden in the mattress, along with some newspaper clippings of the attack in Glendale. Jesus. And Wait, why'd they leave the gun under the mattress? I don't fucking know. Who's not moving guns? <laughs> well, I think they were in the hotel room when they raided it. Like, the oh, cops oh, oh. came in. and In they, Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. In Vegas, the cops came in, and they were like, open up, it's the police. And, like, Mitchell and Ruby like, willingly... Like, shoved the op- gun under there. Well, yeah. Or maybe they kept it there. I don't really know. Yeah. But they willingly opened the door. They didn't, like, fight the police or anything. They oh, were wow. like, ah, you got us. And then they found those pa- newspaper clippings, as well as a torn page from the Las Vegas Yellow Pages for Domino's Pizzas. <gasps> like, Jesus Christ. They were going to do the shit again. Oh, my God. Like, this is a huge vendetta you have against Domino's. Seriously. And you're taking it out on the wrong people. Yeah. The, these people are just trying to get by, man. Yeah. The police also found John's truck. So, the delivery driver that was drowned in the tub. They yeah. found his truck in Las Vegas somewhere. I think it was, like, in a parking lot. I wrote the desert, but all of 
fucking Las Vegas is the desert. That's true. And that had his domino shirt in it with his name tag. And it was about 20 miles from the hotel where Mitchell and Ruby were apprehended. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, you're not very good at hiding your murder shit either. Like your no. evidence. No. Ruby was found guilty of John's murder and sentenced to life without parole. Ruby was. Ruby was. Interesting. Yeah, because that's the only one that she was around for. I don't think she was around for the first two. Yeah. And then Mitchell was found guilty of all three murders. So the two guys in his original Domino's that he worked at and then John, the delivery driver, and sentenced to death in California and South Carolina. Wow. And he's sitting on death row in California today. God damn. He, he got much other shit, too, for, like, tying people up and torturing them and everything. Can you imagine hating a company so much that you're willing to take it out on fucking random employees? Right? Well, and this guy wasn't fucking on his rocker as it was. Like, no, he obviously. had a fucking rough-ass childhood. They even, like, used his childhood as, like, a reason in his trial as to why all this shit happened. Yeah. And Ruby used the excuse that she was, like, under his control because he was so abusive and stuff. Yeah. But everybody was just like, hey, fuck both you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sorry, you willingly participated in this shit. You could have run off at any point. A moment's notice or whatever. Like, which I get that some people get stuck in abusive relationships and they can't. Yeah. But find a way dude jesus yeah you're killing people at that point that is not the way well goddamn yeah we had some motherfucking doozies today crazy yeah yeah on that lovely note everybody send us more listener suggestions even though we didn't do any listener suggestions this round but send us some more at our email isgd jesus christ (laughs) what stacy's trying to say is Send us some listener recommendations at isgdpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> like how you said it really slow. Because I had to think about it. You got, me, you got me questioning it. I know. Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at isgdpodcast. You can also snail mail us at P.O. Box 2764, Spring Valley, California, 91979. That's right subscribe rate and review we love those fucking reviews yes we do also hopefully soon ish we'll have a patreon right yeah look for it in a week yeah (laughs) it's a fucking coming yeah we'll put it all over our social media and shit oh and also if you want to see pictures relating to our cases that we just talked about go to isgdpodcast.com do that dot com dot com (laughs) anyway we love you guys thank you so much for listening bye later And if you're all caught up on our podcast, stay tuned for a promo from Suck My Fanfic Podcast. Hey there, I'm Alex. And I'm Ryan. And we are the host of Suck My Fanfic, a weekly literary review of fan fiction. Let's be real, guys. We all, whether it was once on a rainy night by ourselves or in a big group of friends, have all read fan fiction. Or maybe over the shoulder of the person next to you on a bus. Perhaps. It doesn't matter where, but we've all done it. We are here to cut through the smut and give every fan fiction their fair shake. Because there's a lot of good creatives out there, and you might not know it. It might be the person sitting next to you right now. Might be your best friend. Your bank teller. Could be you. Who knows? Whoa. Join us each week as we... Tackle a new fandom. Talk about some stories. And make a couple of jokes along the way. You can find us on Fireside FM, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Thanks.